Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. And you're asking for a phase-out of fossil fuel. Please help me, show me a roadmap for a phase-out of fossil fuel that will allow, that will allow for socio, for sustainable socio-economic development. Unless you want to take the world back into caves. That's Sultan Ahmed al-Jabri. He's the head of the UN climate talks in Dubai, but he's also the head of the state-owned oil company. And he was speaking there at an online event hosted by a group called She Changes Climate that was posted to YouTube a few weeks ago. His words matter. Right, Jeffrey Supra? They do. Um, the implication that the phase-out of fossil fuels could, you know, quote, take the world back into caves is, frankly, straight-up economic scaremongering. Uh, pulled straight out of the oil industry's 1990s denialist playbook. Um, you know, literally in 1989, Exxon wrote in an internal strategy memo, quote, increase emphasis on costs and political realities. And that's what we're seeing being done today. And you're, you're the right person to ask about language and words when it comes to climate. I'm wondering if you can please remind listeners who you are. Uh, I guess I'm one of the people you can ask. I, I'm, I'm a, a professor of environmental science and policy at the University of Miami and the director of the Climate Accountability Lab here. And my research basically focuses on studying uh, the history of propaganda by fossil fuel interests. So uh, it's definitely in my wheelhouse. Great. And uh, just to tell listeners, I'm Laura Lynch and you are listening to What on Earth? So, Jeffrey, let's take a closer look at, at some of these words being spoken in Dubai to understand what's being said and why. Um, let's go back to Sultan al-Jaber. He's been saying some interesting things. Mm. Uh, th- that tape you just heard was reported by The Guardian. It was, it was on this rather animated discussion he had in late November at this She Changes Climate Online event that was posted to YouTube. And I just want to play a bit more of it now. And this is when he enters into uh, a, an exchange with the former Irish president, Mary Robinson. Well, will you, will, you, will you lead on phasing out, phasing out fossil fuel with just transition, as I've, as I've said? For you, both can, the you can, for the... you can, uh, I accepted to come to this, uh, to this meeting to have a sober and a mature uh, conversation. Uh, we do not, I'm not in any way signing up to any discussion that is alarmist. I am here factual and I respect the science. And there is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. Now, of course, he's referring to 1.5 degrees uh, of warming. Jeffrey Supran, what, what's your reaction to what Al Jaber is saying there? Yeah, so I mean, basically, the, the statements that you know are reported by The Guardian here um, and, and the statements in general that he's been making you know, kind of fall into a few categories that range from rhetorically confusing to outright lies. So that specific comment about there being no science out there that says the phase out of fossil fuels is what's going to achieve 1.5, that is simply false uh, and contradicts decades of climate science. And I think, you know, I could cite you a whole bunch of reports and examples, but I feel like that would only legitimize the idea that there's any debate to be had here. It, it's simply false uh, and a misrepresentation of, of uh, reality. What he said 
in, in that yeah. conversation was met with a lot of criticism and quite an uproar, and so much so that Al Jabber met with reporters just a few days later. And I've got to say, he repeated a contention that, that he said before, that, that the phase down and phase out of fossil fuels is inevitable, which seems somewhat at odds with what he also said in, in the meeting with Mary Robinson. Right. So right. I just want to play one more piece of tape. This is him at this COP28 news conference in a recording posted to YouTube responding to a question about The Guardian's coverage. I honestly think that there is some confusion out there and misrepresentation and misinterpretation. And to address this question right, let me first introduce myself to you. I'm an engineer by background. It's the science and my respect to the science and my passion about the science and it's about my conviction to the science that have enabled me to progress in my career. Okay, so there he is trying to set out his parameters of who he is. But my question to you is, given the remarks, can the Sultan be considered an honest broker at these negotiations? Well, so the, the Sultan is the head of the UN climate talks this year. He's also the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, ADNOC. So there is an incontrovertible conflict of interest. There's, there's simply no debate about that. It's just a fact. It's rather... <laughs> rather amusing that he, he says that there's some confusion out there, given, as you kind of alluded to, the sort of rhetorically confusing language that he has been throwing out. Um, you know, credit where it's due, he has repeatedly expressed support for some sort of phase down or phase out of, quote, unabated fossil fuels. So, you know, this is the first time in 30 years that fossil fuels really have been front and center at UN climate talks. So, again, credit where it's due. But at the same time, the introduction of this new poorly defined word, unabated, which, which is roughly understood to mean fossil fuels without carbon capture and storage, is having the effect of confusing the COP28 debate and basically driving an oil tanker-sized loophole through the negotiations. Because unabated does a lot of rhetorical lifting here, protecting big oil's business as usual by just magicking away any explicit mention of those unproven technologies like carbon capture and storage. So uh, it's no surprise that there's some confusion because, you know, Al Jaber and others are um, unfortunately contributing to it. Well, OK, let, let's let's go beyond this year's COP president. There's been lots of talk about the presence of fossil fuel industry representatives at this year's UN climate talks in Dubai. So let's talk about one of them. Who is Darren Woods and what did he say? Uh, so Darren Woods is the CEO of ExxonMobil, um, and in a nutshell, he has been for the first time attending the COP uh, and calling specifically for these UN climate talks to focus less on, you know, booming renewables and on cutting fossil fuels, you know, both things that threaten Exxon's business interests, and to talk more about unproven hydrogen, biofuels and carbon capture and storage which, you know, conveniently don't threaten Exxon's business interests. And, and all of this is 100% consistent with the company's history of climate denial and delay. Well, yeah, but he, he also said there's just been too much focus on renewables, and yeah. you have to look to what a company like his can actually do uh, to deal with climate change. What, what, what is wrong with that? Well, I mean, essentially what's wrong with it is it's completely um, the, the, the opposite of reality. You know, he, um, the, the notion that there has been too much focus on fossil fuels 
is contrasted with the fact that never in the 30-year history of UN climate talks have fossil fuels ever been mentioned in an agreement. Fossil fuels weren't in the Paris Agreement. Um, and, and so what the oil industry, including Exxon, is saying right now can be boiled down to two key narratives um, within what we term a fossil fuel saviour framing of the climate crisis. And those two narratives are, firstly, what we call fossil fuel solutionism. In other words, false fossil fuel friendly solutions. And secondly, this idea of individualized responsibility, this fixation on demand and emissions rather than on the supply of fossil fuels. Um, and Big Oil has been pushing these narratives for, for more than a decade. And what we're seeing at this year's climate talks is a really concentrated, amplified form of those narratives. Why do you think it's happening now? Well, this COP is, is a potential watershed moment um, where after, you know, almost three dec decades of UN climate negotiations without so much as a mention of fossil fuels, Big Oil's products may finally become the target of international climate policy. And I, I'm not in the minds of these executives, but that's got to have them up at night. And, and I think Exxon and its ilk are starting to see the writing on the wall. Um, you know, Exxon has been projecting and planning for this moment for at least 40 years. For instance, you know, back in 1989, they wrote internally about how, quote, strategies to limit CO2 growth would have substantial impact on society and our industry, leading to near-term reductions in demand for their products, and in the long term, transition to, quote, entirely new energy systems. So they aren't going to take this lying down. The oil industry is doing what it has always done, which is to insinuate itself into the climate decision-making process. This is what big oil does, confuse and corrupt and deny and delay. Okay, I, I, I wanted to put a little bit more historical context into this, because while there are more industry representatives, CEOs, etc., than ever before, they have been part of that process going back to Rio in 1992. Yeah. So I want you to talk a little bit about Bruce Harrison and the role he played. Yeah, sure. So, so again, the oil industry has been shaping the UN climate talks since the very start. Since, you know, we're at COP28 now. They've been doing, they've been in the room since COP0, um, since the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, which was led by a former CEO of Petro-Canada, Maurice Strong. Um, and it was at uh, Rio in 1992, that uh, the PR agent, a very famous agent called E. Bruce Harrison, he's often called the godfather of greenwashing. He and the industry front group that he had formed, representing Exxon and everyone else, uh, called the Global Climate Coalition, they forcefully and strategically pushed the idea of voluntary rather than regulated emissions reductions. And you know, the list of examples goes on. I mean, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you know, which advises the UN on, on its policy, has involved, you know, lead authors who are oil company staffers throughout its entire existence since the beginning. Um, so this is what we call corporate issues management. And it's something that the oil industry has pioneered for decades. It means having your fingers in all the pies, um, foreseeing, you know, potential threats to your business and getting your, your, yourself, you know, a seat at the table uh, to influence the decision-making process. But, but to be fair, Jeffrey, shouldn't industry be part of the process? I mean, the, the chemical industry was part of the process that led to the Montreal Protocol years ago that led to the phasing out of certain harmful chemicals. Right. The, the chemical industry was also part of what delayed the implementation of the, the, the Montreal Protocol um, on the basis, you know, in you know, from their perspective, from in their argument, that there weren't technological alternatives. Um, 
And it was only really when industry realized it could make a profit off those new technologies that they started to, to, to give way. I think the historical track record of malfeasance by fossil fuel interests means that the burden of proof is on them to, um, to do more than just spin and to follow it up with action. Um, and by all means, if they can do that, then, you know, um, I welcome them to be part of the, the transformation to, you know, to a renewable energy future. But again, their track record of malfeasance means that, uh, you know, we, we have a right, in fact, a, a responsibility to be skeptical and to demand that their green talk be met with more than, than dirty uh, actions. Okay, I'm going to ask you to bring out your crystal ball. <laughs> I'm, wonder, I'm wondering what you're watching for next from the oil and gas sector, if it is coming up against this kind of resistance. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's taken 30 years of negotiations to, to get here, to, to the point where people are finally using uh, what my colleagues and I um, call the F word, right, fossil fuels. So, you know, it's hard to imagine a really simple outright commitment to, you know, complete phase out of all fossil fuels to come from this COP. But, you know, perhaps we may at least for the first time ever see some mention of fossil fuels in a COP agreement. And, you know, in my opinion, even if that comes with loopholes, uh, it would be a step in the right direction. Oil tanker size loopholes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we shall see. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the problem with this. It's, it's really almost magical how a couple years ago, no one was using the term unabated. And then, you know, Al Jaber and others start to introduce this word and suddenly... It's, um, it's, it's sort of the standard fare and, and is now shaping this entire UN debate. So, um, yeah, it's really a, an astonishing, kind of breathtaking um, thing to observe. And, and yeah, let's, let's hope we can keep that loophole relatively small. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again and you'll be watching closely. So will we, Jeffrey Supran, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, we did reach out to ExxonMobil with a request for comment, but no one got back to us by deadline. We'll be right back. My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. Quite frankly, if we weren't here to tell the Alberta story, no one would hear it. No one would hear about the fact that we have all of these net zero projects. No one would hear that we are a leader in industrial carbon pricing, in carbon capture utilization and storage, in the tax credits that we've put together. Um, no, I, and, and nobody would know the, the, that, that we want to be at the forefront of this. So I think it is vitally important that Alberta is here to tell the story. Well, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has had a busy schedule at the UN Climate Talks, COP28. According to her social media feed, she spoke at events about sustainable innovation and carbon capture utilization and storage. She hosted a fireside chat. She met with an official from the United Arab Emirates Energy Ministry and talked about export opportunities with the head of a Dubai investment company. 
And when Canada's environment minister announced a framework for capping oil and gas emissions, Premier Smith immediately responded. She called the framework a, quote, de facto production cap on Alberta's oil and gas sector and a, quote, intentional attack by the federal government on the economy of Alberta. She said it will de-incentivize oil and gas companies from investing in technology to reduce emissions. The Premier also alluded to the possibility of launching a constitutional challenge. Caroline Bouillette, you're in Dubai for the conference. What do you make of Premier Smith's response? Premier Smith's response is an encapsulation of what she came to Dubai to do, which is to greenwash her province's oil and gas industry's activities and delay, distract and reduce the ambition of Canada's position and work in these international negotiations, which focus on the phase out of fossil fuels in particular this year. Okay, before we go on, can you let us know who you are and what you're doing at COP28? My name is Caroline Bruyère. I'm the Executive Director of Climate Action Network Canada, the country's largest coalition of groups working together on climate and energy issues. And we are here as civil society because especially at a moment when we're seeing such a visible capture from the oil and gas lobby of international negotiations processes, it is fundamental that civil society is here to hold not only our governments, but also this industry accountable. Caroline, welcome. Thanks for having me. Before we talk more about Alberta's agenda at COP28, I just want to return to the emissions cap framework. We now know the federal government wants emissions from the oil and gas sector to be cut by at least 35% below 2019 levels by 2030. What's your reaction to that? It's been a very long-awaited moment with this regulation being promised more than two years ago by Prime Minister Trudeau at COMP26. But we're seeing as well in that framework that it will only become operational in 2026. And that is simply unacceptable because Canadians and the world cannot afford three more years of this industry wrecking havoc and literally putting our country on fire. But the the government says that they need that time to actually work with the oil and gas companies. They can't simply bring the hammer down right away because the companies need to prepare for this. Companies have been saying that for years. It's the same tactic and the same line around simply delaying climate action. This sector has been increasing its emissions. We're talking about 88% over 1990 levels, all while other sectors have been reducing their emissions. Climate action is a team sport, and we cannot allow one sector to stay on the bench. What we need is for this sector to be regulated because left to its own devices, as we've been seeing, they will keep increasing their pollution while other sectors, other workers, other consumers are picking up the slack. So you don't think this is good enough? The policy is a really significant step forward and signals that finally we are tackling the elephant in the Canadian climate policy rule, which is the continued expansion of the oil and gas sector's pollution. But there are many ways in which we need to improve it before the first draft regulation is stabled, which we're hoping to see as soon as possible. 
There are also some compliance flexibilities in there, which we truly need to ask the question, uh, who benefits from these? It's not regular Canadians, it's not workers, it's companies who have already been raking in record amounts of profits who get more time and more leeway to continue doing so. Now, I don't mean to make light of this uh, subject, but (laughs) speaking of the emissions cap, you've been sporting some interesting headgear at the climate talks. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, well, it turns out that uh, an emissions cap, and by cap, I mean uh, literally a hat with the (laughs) words emissions on it, has become the COP28's most coveted fashion accessory. (laughs) I was hosting a fireside chat with Minister Guilbeault where I gifted him one with a very strict condition that he would only be able to wear it if he announced the framework policy on capping oil and gas emissions during the conference. Well, what do you, so, what do you think now, now that you've heard the details of the, the actual emissions cap? I guess I, I expect to see it on his head the next time I see him. Do you think he deserves to wear it? <laughs> I think, I, I think it's important that we look at this policy in terms of how much pushback it's been seeing. The fact that the policy has now finally been seeing some progress with a framework being published means that um, we this pressure from the climate movement and from folks who have been also pushing hard internally has worked. Well, I guess, though, that that, that you didn't even attempt to give uh, Alberta Premier Daniel Smith a cap, and she probably wouldn't wear one if you did. But but we're at this point now where we have the announcement from the Minister of Environment on oil and gas emissions and new methane emissions rules. And then we have the Premier of Alberta immediately saying she's going to fight the federal government. I'm wondering what message you think it sends to the international community about Canada's climate commitments. I think the international community is is starting to understand that um, Canada's often not very progressive positions when it comes to climate action and tackling the oil and gas industry's disproportionate share of its emissions and historical responsibility in the climate crisis is also the uh, the result of some internal tensions within the Federation. Actually, Premier Danielle Smith in Alberta was awarded the fossil of the day by Climate Action Network International. This is a price that it's that is is awarded every day to usually countries that are truly being very disruptive in negotiations and who are quote unquote being the best at being the worst on climate action. I, I'm sure she, she would actually take that as a badge of honor. And I'm, I'm along with Premier Scott Moe of Saskatchewan, um, but she has been highlighting carbon capture projects and they both have been highlighting those in their respective provinces. And Premier Smith has made her climate priorities clear. So I don't see it as a transition away from oil and natural gas. I see it as a transition away from emissions. And we're committed to, to working towards uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. Okay, so Premier Smith's message. How is that landing at a conference where the scientists agree that it's past time to stop extracting fossil fuels if we want to keep the world to one and a half degrees of warming? 
I think it's very clear that the international civil society, but also everyone who is gathered here and discussing this key issue of the phase out of fossil fuels, um, I think people are seeing through Danielle Smith greenwashing. This year's climate talks, they're hosted by a fossil fuel producing country. They're headed by the CEO of the United Arab Emirates National Oil Company. And more than 2,400 fossil fuel lobbyists have come to Dubai, according to the coalition Kick Big Polluters Out. I mean, how might that all play out into Premier Smith's, Premier Moe's, and other nations that that still want to keep going with fossil fuels? How might it all play out in their favor? COP28 is a paradox because on the one hand, the oil and gas capture of the negotiations process has never been so visible. You mentioned the record number of of lobbyists who are here, but we can also think of the blatant conflict of interest with the president of COP also holding the title of CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. On the other hand, we've never been so close to seeing a phase out of fossil fuels in COP text for the first time in 28 years. 106 countries um, signed a declaration pushing in that direction. And so this paradox actually may very well may be a historic inflection point. And the visibility of the conflict of interest and of the fossil fuel lobby here actually creates additional pressure on not only the COP28 president, Dr. Sultan Al-Jabur, but also on negotiators who want to show that this process is working. I'm just wondering, Premier Smith said to reporters that we can't reach net zero without including, quote, every single player in the energy sector. So I'm just wondering what role you do see fossil fuel companies playing in finding a solution? We wouldn't invite tobacco companies to a health conference on ending lung cancer. And so it's the same concept that applies here. Definitely, we need to have stakeholders and rights holders in the climate conversation because it's truly um, a crisis that affects all peoples. However, we shouldn't be inviting the very folks who for years have proven and well-documented track record as using these events to delay, distract, and dilute action. Caroline Brouillette, thank you very much. My pleasure. Now, we asked the province of Alberta for its response to Brouillette's claims that Premier Smith is using delay tactics and is engaging in greenwashing. The press secretary to the environment minister replied, saying, and I quote, Alberta has an effective, common sense and innovative approach to reducing emissions while keeping energy reliable, secure and affordable. Remember, you can listen to all of our episodes on demand at CBC Listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We drop two new podcasts every week. And while you're there, leave us a review. Better yet, tell a friend about us and get them to listen too. That's all for now. The show was put together by Danielle Piper, Vivian Luck, Rachel Sanders, Matthias Wolfson, and Molly Siegel. Special thanks to Kyle Bax. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca podcasts.